Hi, everyone. Welcome to Waste 360's Nothing Wasted podcast. On every episode, we invite the most interesting people in waste, recycling, and organics to sit down with us and chat candidly about their thoughts, their work, this unique industry, and so much more. So thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're really excited to talk to you all here about um, ocean-bound plastics and using them in products and some of the challenges um, and successes along the way. Uh, my name is Ryan Shenicky. I am one, uh, the co-founder of Ocean Cycle. We are a um, social enterprise focused on certifying ocean-bound plastic supply chains uh, with a very intense focus on the social side of things, which we'll talk a little bit about later. Um, but I'd like to let the panel go ahead and uh, introduce themselves. I'm Chad Rabe. I'm here on behalf of Dell Technologies. I uh, work in their product department. It's a pretty big department, but the part that I focus on a lot is soft goods. So a lot of fibers and textiles is um, my main area as well, as well as just sustainability efforts across Dell in general uh, on all product categories. I'm, I'm Rick Wilson. I'm a sales engineer for Polyvisions. I'm a plastics engineer. I've been doing it for about 38 years with a specialty in materials and processing. Uh, back when about seven years ago, we were doing some PET compounding, and we determined and, and, and wanted to make something that was more positive for the environment. We started making a material using recycled PET, we call DuraPet. And it's a little different, uh, it's, it's a little different than most uses of, of recycled materials where it is being used as a engineering grade material using durable products uh, for someone like Dell, who we work with. Uh, my name is Max McKaylee. I work for a company called CPI Card Group. We are a, a payments technology company, and my role within that is in the credit card division. We manufacture credit cards, and my focus is on sustainable polymers. Great. Thanks. Well, as I, I probably should have mentioned, everybody here makes a product with ocean-bound plastic. Uh, we all work together, and, and you use the Ocean Cycle certification in some capacity in some of the products you're doing. Um, you know, probably should also mention what is ocean-bound plastics, right? Uh, ocean-bound plastics is uh, plastic collected within uh, 30 miles or 50 kilometers of a, of a coastline in an area that lacks a formal waste management system. And I think that uh, the lacking of the formal waste man management is really important um, and a key piece to it because what we're not, we're not looking to do is certify or, or incentivize collection around formal or government-run recycling systems. You know, I, I'd mentioned that the, the social side is really important, and I think a lot of people don't know that plastic, ocean-bound plastics in particular, are all collected by informal communities by hand, right? And so uh, it's, um, these are the true heroes of the story, and we want to make sure that we, um, we don't forget about them. So we did a little social program. Ocean Cycle does a lot of social work in the communities, and we did a, a program with Herman Miller. Uh, a, a little while ago uh, for food and water in one of these communities. And so, so I, I think, you know, diving into some of the, the, th the, the topics we, we talked about uh, prior to, I think a lot of when, you know, you hear about ocean-bound plastics and products made out of ocean-bound plastics, I think a lot of people say, well, that would be great, but how do I do that? How do I get started? And so, you know, um, Max, CPI has had a really long journey. You've been doing this for quite a while. And so just be great to hear, you know, from your perspective, um, you know, what are some of the challenges you faced and, and what does that journey look like? Sure. Um, well, we started the Oceanbound project, uh, making a credit card out of Oceanbound plastic back in 2018. 
And um, it really, it was uh, my boss and I were watching a, a video on ocean plastic and he looked at me and said, hey, can you make a card out of this stuff? And I said, well, I don't know. Uh, my background is in um, design and manufacturing operations and we've been using virgin PVC plastic for you know 30 years at our factory. So I had zero experience with this. Um, so I just started reaching out to people. Where can I get some of this material? What can I do? Um, found something that would work. It was high density polyethylene, which is absolutely would never be recommended to be used in a credit card because it doesn't have any of the mechanical properties you need. But we figured it out. And um, I brought it to our, our, uh, our business unit leader. And I think the biggest challenge we had in the beginning was th this sort of attitude that we've tried this before, you know? And that, that, was, that was what resonated in the beginning of this project was, we've done this before, 2008, you tried to do this before, recycled PVC, what's different this time? Uh, so we just put it on the back burner. It was a Skunk Works project, but then um, some, of the, some of the tailwinds that were spoke about earlier came about was through social media and all of a sudden it percolated up to the, to the, to the business unit leader. He said, hey, let's, do you still have that card? Can you still make that? From there, it was a lot easier, but um, you know, technically speaking, it was, um, I think, one of the biggest hurdles we had to overcome was our suppliers, because every single one of the suppliers that, that, that provide to our industry are, are used to running with virgin materials, and their, their perception of recycled plastic was, this is garbage, I mean, it's literally garbage. We're gonna put this in our extrusion lines and you're gonna shut them down. So the challenge was, really just partnering with them and saying, hey, we're, you know, we're not here to just tell you to do this. We're here to help you through this. Let's learn about this together. And, and that's really the only way that we're able to make it successful. Yeah, so I think talking about materials and, and supply chain and some of the issues and working with suppliers, I think, Rick, you have been doing that a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's very important that the supply chain is, is very well established. And thanks to Ocean Cycle, who has uh, who's done some work with uh, different folks uh, to make that happen. We we really we you know we specifically deal with our pet, you know, recycled water bottles uh, and and Coke bottles. Uh, so we we seem to have a never-ending stream of supply at this point, uh, and 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 we're we're able to take that in and uh, do we we do a little chemistry on it, and uh, our product uh, makes it. Uh, you know, when when Max said something about it's it's always been considered garbage. Um, there's not a lot you've been able to do in the past with with uh, PET. You know, you can make you can make and Chad will talk about this. Make some textiles with it. Uh, we we wanted to do something different where you could take the the single use product and create a very durable material, engineering grade material out of it. So our DuraPet is made with uh, is made with over 90% our PET and can replace ABS polycarbonate, polycarbonate ABS alloys. And without having that stream coming in, uh, it would be hard to support some of our customers like Herman Miller, like when, if we could talk about that in a minute. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, I think it's, you know, you say water bottle in, in PET and, you know, touching on the circularity point of this panel, right? right? Like you can actually recycle that much easier than you can ABS. Yeah, if we talk about what we did with, we, and I'll, I'll talk specifically about Herman Miller. Uh, it was a long journey, you know, so you, you got to have a champion there. And, and Bob's our champion at Herman Miller, uh, and it came right from the top. Uh, we we want to do good. You know, as you saw in the video, Herman Miller was all about doing well or doing good. 
so, so they took their highest visibility chair, their Aeron chair, their highest seller, and went right for that. And um, we were able to, over time, we worked with their suppliers uh, and supplied them material. And over time, we were able to work out the differences on, on processing our material versus theirs. Mm -hmm. And once we get to that point, the second part we're working on now is circularity. So Herman Miller can actually bring a chair back in after, again, it's a long-term use product as opposed to single-use product. We can bring that product back in, uh, pull the plastics off, and the hard plastics on that Aeron chair are, are all of our material, um, and replace the ABS and polycarbonate ABS that was, was on there before. We can pull those parts off, grind them back up. We put that back into our process and make virgin material out of it again. Right. So we already have a plan for circularity and we're working with a couple other companies who I can't mention now on that same program. Right. Uh, and, and you know we've also talked to Dell about that. So we have plans in place to be able to continue that circularity so that material never ends up somewhere where it shouldn't, like a landfill. Yeah. One thing that both of them have stated, which I think is really important to understand and was mentioned in some of the earlier ones, is that the material science for plastics in the last five years has really progressed leaps and bounds. So like what was mentioned, we've done this before, why are we doing it again? That really is a misnomer, it should be thrown out the window now. If you've done it more than three years ago, you should probably try it again because so many materials have changed. And like what he has mentioned now, typically what you might have said, we can only use polycarbonate for this part or, uh, or hips or something. Now there's a lot of other materials which are more easily recyclable that have newer additives or other properties that could match what was there before. So really just, just there's been a huge advancement in material, material mm -hmm. science and applications. Yeah, and, and to expand on that, we work with customers that said, we love what, what this is, but we need now to have it do this. So the same material we made seven years ago, you know, we're, we're now evolving, you know, into materials that have flame retardancy to them, uh, you know, using, uh, using non-chemical non related uh, flame retardancy. So they're, 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 the, whole, the whole world is starting to open up a little bit on, maybe we can do it. You know, you, what it takes is a champion, and it, it takes someone to say, yeah, let's, let's, let's break the wall down and let's go ahead and move forward. And even if we don't get 100% of this product being recycled in the thing, maybe Right now, let's start with 30, 40 percent, and we'll, we'll evolve from there. And we've done that with folks, uh, other folks, where they've only had a small component in their, in their whole product line uh, be our DuraPet material. And now they're looking to push it further, that envelope further. How, how can we move it more forward? Uh, like, like I said, when we first started doing this with, with, with large customers, there wasn't even any molds built for our material. We, we used existing molds, ex existing ABS molds. That was great because they didn't have to put that up front expense mm -hmm. uh, to, to you know, that millions of dollars just to make product out of our material because we fit right in their molds. And now they're building, now, now they're like looking to build molds for us, you know, for our material specifically, uh, and they've learned. So every, as, as we move forward, the windows are just opening wider. Mm -hmm. But it takes that champion to right. be able to do that. Well, Chad, I know, you know, you had a little bit different journey because, you know, Dell has been involved in ocean-bound plastics for a while. They were one of the, the leader in creating the next wave initiative, right? And so you came in in a different space and said, well, you guys are doing packaging and I want to move it to a whole different, you know, 
area. So I would love to hear about that and how you went from, okay, we've done one product, how do we do something, but it's also totally different. Yeah, so how to bring a product to market. Um, like was mentioned, Dell had first started incorporating ocean-bound plastic and packaging you know, with some HDPEs and other ones that are a little bit easier. Um, it's a big organization, so how do you convince different stakeholders to want to maybe incur some additional cost mm -hmm. or go with different processing than there was before? My particular one was I, I went a bit rogue. I just said, hey, we're going to do it, throw caution to the wind, and let's see what the response is. And I think when statements are made that there is demand out there, that people are paying attention to it, it, it is kind of like listening to some of these market experts, I can attest that that's really true. We went ahead, put it in the material ahead, a little bit ahead of when customers were really asking, you know, some were, but not a lot. Once we put it in, we really saw big spikes of requests for that type of product. They, uh, you know, now we're putting it in not only packaging, but also finished goods, you know, durable finished goods and using it in areas where for ocean-bound plastic, perhaps you thought, well, this is garbage, the properties aren't that good. The technology and processing has also improved dramatically through different, that you can get to virgin-like properties or virgin-style properties. So all of those have been resolved as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, well, you mentioned one something that's really interesting and I think important is the, you know, what's the customer response and customer demand, right? So, I mean, particularly from your perspective, and I, I think Max as well, you know, the direct customer, like, what are the responses you're getting? How is that pushing you forward? And how are you, is it making you evolve what you're doing? I was, the response is amazing. I mean, yeah. there's, there's something with ocean-bound plastic that resonates with consumers more than just recycled plastic um, because everybody can picture, you know, a turtle or a fish, right, or, or, the, or the great Pacific garbage patch. It's, mm -hmm. it's visual, and that, that creates an emotional connection to the consumer. So, I mean, we've sold, like, you know, close to 50 million of these cards. I mean, it's, it's just crazy demand, and you think, wow, it's just because you put recycled polymers in there. Um, but there is this attractiveness that's, that, that resonates with the customer. And for you, the, the customer is the bank that's driving that, or is it their customer that's driving them to do something? It's their customer. Yeah, yeah. Our, yeah we're a B2B, so we sell to banks and right. payment brands. Um, but they're finding that their customers are asking for this. Right. So they're responding to their actual customer who's holding the card. Yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, we've done some studies where you know over half of people that were surveyed said, hey, if, if our bank was to, ocean, to, was to offer an ocean-bound plastic card, we'd switch banks, right? Which mm -hmm. is, for the banking industry and the fintech industry, is, is huge. I mean, they want customer retention. So then it became a race like, hey, we have to have this because if, if, if we don't, then their customers are going to jump ship. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard to get them back once they, once they leave. Mm -hmm. And then, Chad, for you, you know, I mean, I think... Like the Dell bag is great. I love it, you know. But the, you know, I, w I wouldn't often seek a Dell bag, right? I don't see them on the shelves as much as I would see other brands. So for you, it's a business customer often, right? And how are they driving what you're doing? Yeah, huge. Uh, in the process, a lot of times is that we're uh, approached by a customer asked for a certain type of product. So mm -hmm. it might be, you know, it, it could be a laptop or a desktop or 
things like backpacks and briefcases, and they're starting to say, we want X percentage recycled content in this product to even entertain purchasing it from you. So we're really seeing customer demand spike in, in areas where the customer isn't maybe that um, in tune with, with where areas are headed. Uh, they don't have that as part of the requirement, but then when the sales team shows them, hey, this compared to an option that doesn't have any, it definitely is a winning conversation. There mm -hmm. always seems attraction there. And I, part of what we also wanted to touch on today is not just the, you know, the, the fact that we're using recycled content, but there's also huge social benefits that can mm -hmm. be touted as well. Yes, it's got recycled content that helps to uh, prevent plastic from ending up in the ocean, but it's also having real dramatic impacts on your supply chain that can also resonate with your customers. Yeah, well, the supply chain is interesting. I mean, Max, and when we were preparing for this, I remember you saying that like it's not a supply chain, it's our supply web, right? Yeah. And you started looking at it differently, and I thought that was a really interesting comment because when it comes to ocean-bound material, it's, you know, you're sourcing from a lot of different places potentially, right? Or sourcing from places you might not be as comfortable with. Um, so I'd be interesting... It'd be interesting to just hear, you know, from all of you how you've how you've adjusted to that supply web and how you've changed, you know, you've looking at a different source and and brought that in. Um, yeah, the supply web, it, it's it's definitely a change in thinking from from our linear supply chain we're used to. Um, quite frankly, five years ago we didn't care where our plastic came from. Right. Now we do. Now our consumers care where where the plastic comes from. So you've got people like yourself, certification, right? You have collectors. You have uh, recyclers, you have extruders, you have subcomponent manufacturers, and it's it's really critical that um, that you sort of know who they all are. There's this transparency that didn't have have to exist prior, um, and I think that um, you know, and you still have to respect the boundaries relative to you know if I if I go to Rick for a, for a polymer. He needs to be able to sell it to me at a good price. So, but if I'm going back in his supply chain several times to figure out who's collecting it, where it came from, I might know his price. <laughs> so there's, I think there's this trust that has to develop between all the, all the suppliers to say, we're going we're gonna to hold all these balls in the air at once. And we're gonna, we have to know where it comes from and it's traceable. But at the same time, we respect the business purpose for what we're doing. Yeah, and I like to consider that transparency, right? Mm -hmm. We got we to have... So, so when you're working with someone like Max or with Herman Miller, who I work with, um, there's got to be a transparency. We've, we've got to be, you know, it used to be, we're not going to tell you about what our material costs are. We're not going to tell you where we get our stuff from. We're not going to, but now it's, it's, we consciously make sure that, that our customers are involved right in the beginning to know that, you know, we use Ocean Cycle as, our, as, a, as a certification uh, arm and they do a tremendous job. And, and Herman Miller knows that we're, we're, we're getting supply from materials that are, are, are qualified under the, under the ocean cycle. And then here's what, we're, here's what we have to pay for it, right? Because there's, there's, there's less, it used to be a major cost factor, right, was, was in the past, but it's become less of a factor. And I think we need to be transparent about that mm -hmm. uh, and say, hey, hey, we're a team. You know, we really want to do this as, as a good, right? This is not just, of course, we're going to make money. Everybody has to make money. I hate to say that. But we won't be. We wouldn't be sitting here if we right. were. We weren't making money. But we also have to be work as a team and be very transparent about. You know, we're not. We're not out just to make money. But we want to work as a team. So I, I mean, I, I think we've. We as a company have done a good job with that, and I think it's important and vital to guys like like uh, Chad's group at Dell 
and to Herman Miller, it was very essential. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, the the social component is so important, and in, in knowing where the plastic comes from, I, I think that uh, you know, Max, you said it. Like you didn't, you used to not care where your plastic came from, and I think one of the things we found with Ocean Cycle was once we started. Uh, telling companies or you know suppliers that about how this plastic is collected, we started seeing a lot more questions. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, we we had a lot of questions from CPI for sure. Mm -hmm. um, but and, and I think it's important that um, a lot of times that trace the tracing of the recycled plastic really goes back to just maybe the pellets. Mm -hmm. You know, like. Um, and so one unique thing about Ocean Cycle is that they, they really are monitoring and, and certifying the collection all the way back down to where it's being picked by that informal network. Yeah. And that's really, honestly, I think that's where a lot of the value in the storytelling and to the customers come from, comes from is from that, yeah. that very last little bit that a lot of places um, actually don't give you a lot of visibility to. So understanding your product all the way back to where it really is originating is, is critical to find some of that value add. And, and I think it's important because of the, and I, I'm going to use this term because everybody knows it, the greenwashing. Right, mm -hmm. the greenwashing effect. We can't we can't start greenwashing things because we, we won't get the support. Right, the 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 end users, the, your end user will, won't trust you anymore. We said transparency. That transparency is very important for trust, all the way to the end product being sold. So we've got to have that visibility of where things are from, how are we getting from point A to point B to point C. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, and the the, uh, the the trust. I imagine it goes both ways, right? Because if you you know, Rick, in your case, you're going to divulge a lot to a buyer, right? Right, and you're going to say, okay, well, we're going to trust that you're maybe not going to try and work around us to to go do something. In the case of you guys, maybe a little bit different because you have a unique offering. Right, right, exactly. And and again, that's that that trust and a teamwork, right? So it's it's really how do how do we get from you know things getting thrown into the ocean ultimately or being in there to where we're gonna prevent that long term. And, and to do that, you've gotta have trust all along the way. Mm -hmm. right, right now, I think, you know, with the companies that we have on the panel and others, there's, there's a lot of sharing of information. I mean, a lot of my suppliers are actually in the audience as well. We're, we're saying, please spread the word. The only worry we really have right now is, is there enough of this material <laughs> like that? We, we want to share our suppliers. We want everyone to know what we're, we're working on. What we hope that the audience of this expo can help facilitate is help us have enough material for everyone to be able to use it. We, we really are seeing that it's going to get to a point where our demand, the, the manufacturing demand might outstrip what's able to be provided to us. So we, we do want that support from the recyclers and from the collectors to be able to give us enough material. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and in some cases we hope, I hope at some point, um, being the old guy on the panel, that, uh, that I, I don't have to talk about this 10 years from now, right? right. Because we've already got all this stuff in place and it's happening and, uh, and uh, that, that's my goal, is to, is to kind of get out of this thing and have it all be happening automatically, regularly. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be great if at some point we were not talking about it's ocean-bound plastic, but really just responsibly sourced plastic, right? Exactly. And I think that's what we've focused on a lot in the, in the supply chain is the responsible sourcing because once you start, you know, looking at, I mean, 
there's not a lot of difference in how it's collected if you're you know, 300 miles inland in a place that doesn't have a formal waste management system. You're still gonna experience all the same risks um, when it comes to collection. Exactly. So, yep. so I, you know, I mean, the, the cross-country company collaboration, I think, is really important, right? And, and uh, you know, Chad, I know you weren't the, maybe at the beginning of Next Wave, but it would be great to hear more about Next Wave and how that's facilitated the collaboration across the companies. I know, like, um, and Rick, maybe you can speak to this a little bit more, is that Herman Miller, you know, they said, you know, you don't have to just work with us. You can work with anybody else making chairs, right? And so, it, you know, I think that's an important aspect of growing this type of thing. So, you know, from the Next Wave perspective, you know, what, how has that been helpful? Yeah, so Dell was uh, one of the, one of the co-founders, if you will, of Next Wave Consortium, which is really focused on just promoting the use of ocean-bound plastic. And that, that also includes um, uh, nylon that's recovered fishing nets, which uh, that's such a big portion of the material that's out there in the ocean that that's included as well under that moniker of ocean-bound plastic. But this is really, uh, it really was just a way to be able to help um, manufacturers, you know, industry get together and share resources and find creative solutions on how to help both upstream and downstream of the design and manufacturing phases and being able to say, okay, we, we want to work with this recycler. Maybe if as a company we work with another company, we can get them enough feedstock to be able to supply us. There's so many of these areas where it's just finding the right partner. <laughs> you know, it's, if one recycler tells you no, please go ask 50 other ones, because uh, it really does seem like at this point in time, uh, there's, a, there's a really big uh, increase in innovation out there through all the, all the different aspects of the supply chain. And it's just finding that right partner. So Next Wave Consortium is really kind of built around that. Let's help people find partners, find uh, good collaborators to work with. I know maybe you guys have had similar successes like that. I, I gotta say, working with Herman Miller was, was, was a joy. We, we went on a journey together, right? And, and once we got 90% through that journey where they were putting out product, they told their biggest uh, competitor, human scale, you gotta get a hold of these guys. It's, it's, it's kind of fun uh, on that. And Dell's the same way. You know, Oftentimes a customer wants to come to you and say, you gotta sign all these NDAs. So when Dell approached us on, on the recent project we're working on, I asked, do you want an NDA? He goes, no, I want you to tell everybody what you're working with us and what you're doing. And uh, I said, why? He goes, because we're doing good. And we want, we want everybody to know how, how what we're doing can affect them and how they can climb on board. And uh, that's, that's, a bit of a, that's a bit of a breath of fresh air in our industry, especially where uh, we work with most, most of what we do, even outside of what we're doing with the DuraPet, is all NDA-based. You can't tell anybody. Uh, and uh, Herman Miller and Dell uh, were both, just please tell everybody. Here, here, sh show our parts at shows. Uh, do everything you can. And I think that's, the, that's that transparency and, and responsibility, right? Where they said, listen, you know, we, we've got to be responsible for the future, how this stuff is being done. And uh, it's, it's just a breath of fresh air. I'll just add to that, the, the, the scale that you can achieve. You know, I'm just thinking back to five years ago, right? We didn't care where our plastic came from. And now that we do, you know, I can remember hopping on a next wave call with, you know, three or four other manufacturers and saying, we all have a problem with this particular subset of material that we're all sourcing. How can we figure this out? 
And not, not only how can we figure this out, but how can we help the supplier figure this out so that we can all consume more of this material? Mm -hmm. It was just kind of, it was almost magical in a sense, like, hey, I've never done this before. I've never been able to um, go back far enough on the supply chain to fix a problem that could be then deployed to all of our suppliers. Because the way it worked before was, you know, somebody creates a, a unique polymer and that's where you get it from. Right. Now it's going backward, you know, back a little bit in the supply chain. Now you're able to leverage that and that supplier can then sell more of it. So you're able to achieve that scale through this, mm -hmm. through this open collaboration, which is just fantastic. And, and, I, and do you think that, I'll ask you a question, do you think that collaboration is something that helps drive uh, what we're trying to accomplish faster, for, more forward faster? Yeah, way faster. Yeah, right? I mean, I can't see, you know, if you have a technical issue when you're manufacturing a product, if you can't resolve it in a timely fashion, you cut bait and you move on. Yep. And that's, that's not what's happening here. This is saying, okay, let's collaborate and let's figure it out quickly and then we can use it. And it's, it's just the, the fastest path forward that you can do. That team, that, it, it's, it's not just a teamwork between the supplier, who I'm one, and, and Dell, and, and it's, it's CPI, Dell, the supplier, Herman Miller, all working together, which is really, really unique and probably something you don't see out there in the world uh, too often. Uh, it's and that I, supply and I, web. That yeah. supply web, yeah, right? Or, or even, that, even, that, even that web of just cooperation, right? That, that really, that, 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 I think it tells you how important what everybody on this stage is trying to accomplish mm -hmm. is because they put aside that competitive uh, balance and, and they've said it's, it's more important to do good at this point than, than to have, you know, shut out competitors and stuff. So that's, it's, it was very unique. I'll, I'll give a good example of this. Um, the, probably, I don't know, a month or two ago, you guys probably saw the email. I think it was Bob from Herman Miller said, hey, I've got 40,000 pounds of material that I can't use, right? And all of a sudden, there's this mass email blast. What can we do? And we're trying to figure it out mm -hmm. over real time. How can we, can somebody else use it? Because maybe it's suitable. Right. Whereas before, I know it would have happened, right? We would have just thrown it in the garbage. It may have ended up in a landfill. It would have been in the landfill. Yeah, yeah. Right. recycled ocean-bound plastic back into a landfill. Right. But that's not what's happening. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, I think we got about, maybe about 10 minutes left, so why don't we start with questions? Hello, uh, thank you very much uh, for your conversation. Uh, extremely interesting to see the, the cooperation between suppliers. I think that's, that's, that's crucial. Um, I had a question for, for, for Brad in particular regarding DELT, the, the good work on, on you know, uh, trying to, to, to work with the um, uh, ocean-bound uh, plastic but I was, I was uh, struck by one comment from you saying that, you know, you don't get enough to, to, to meet your goals or your ambition to, to work with us. But what about the 95% of the plastic that is not recycled in the U.S.? Why wouldn't you use, you know, that huge amount that ends up, you know, incinerated on landfills or, or exported somewhere else? Um, what I'm getting at is, um, would the fixation on using ocean plastic be actually detrimental to the bigger picture of recycling the huge amount of plastic that we're not recycling? Thank you. Well, I, I have some thoughts, but go I, ahead. I, I, can, I can comment on that. Yeah. Um, we, we, we do both, right? So we, we think it's very instrumental. It's a, I think it's a great question. I, th I think there's, there's, there's value in both, right? So we're actually pulling in uh, U.S. streams of recycled PET in this particular, our particular product line and also ocean bound. 
So it's really, and we don't, and we don't cross the streams. So it's very separate, right? So we have an ocean-bound product and a what we call a standard product, which is maybe not the right term for it. Uh, but but it's 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 really where the customers, or or my 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 customers deem where their value is, right? Is there more value in the ocean-bound for them at this point? or the recycled stream within the US. And we do both. So I have, I have a couple customers who have a product line, and ha this product line uses this, and this product line uses this one. Uh, great question, and I, and I don't think it's detrimental to the US uh, recycling, but I do think it, it just adds to it. I really do. I believe it's, a, it's very fundamental. I think that's, it, it's, more it's more visible, right, when you say ocean-bound, and uh, there, I work with some companies who don't want to use the ocean bound. They only want to use the U.S. So is that, did that answer your question? Well, I think it was kind of directed at Dell, right? So, or you are Dell now, right? So. <laughs> I thought you said Brian. I'm sorry. It, uh, yeah, it's, it's a good question. It's one of those, uh, you know, for Dell, our, our product offering is so incredibly broad. Uh, you know, it, it really goes back to what I was saying, understanding very intimately the product that you're making. Um, because beyond just what your feedstock is, it's also what's the, you know, what's the proximity to your manufacturing site? What other, all of these other incidentals around it do you want to consider to make that best trade-off or best choice? So. Um, I can I can just say we we have a huge suite of solutions and it just depends on what product we're making and where and understanding that full life cycle. Uh, you know, really we've learned a lot at Dell over the last. Um, I, I, we we've learned exponentially more over the last couple of years than I would say the preceding just because of what I had mentioned in that big innovation boom and uh, the amount of emphasis that's now being put on having full LCAs of products and understanding your product carbon footprint. Um, and, and when you get as far back into the supply chain as like Ocean Cycle go, goes, you make a lot of discoveries. And so it's very hard to say, oh, material A is better than B because there's so many different factors that have into there. Um, but yeah, I, you know, we want to look at every single possible one, and that's why we're also saying, you know, we really want others to come to us, show us your offerings, because what might have not been considered feasible in the past probably is today. I really do believe that there's been such big advancements that there's a, a lot of uh, low-hanging fruit, as they say, a lot of really easy solutions for a lot of these waste streams. Um, so the the biggest one that we're seeing now is because there is constraint on some of these waste streams, um, you know, companies will come in and sign exclusivity agreements and then all of a sudden you're shut off so you have to find a new one. So that's, what, that's why I'm saying we really want more coming to the table because we're, we're starting to see maybe as a little bit of a, you know, a, a prophetic statement here that, that those types of constraints probably are going to become more often. So we're wanting to bolster, you know, encourage more recycling um, supply into uh, the manufacturing. Does that fine gentleman get a bag then? Yeah, for sure. I think he does. Well, if he needs one. You know? <laughs> oh, okay. He's oh, good, good. good. We All can't right. see up here, so we, we have to rely on Rob. Yeah, I would just say really quickly from our perspective, you know, we... Ocean Cycle, we wanted to establish a system for verifying and, 
uh, creating transparency in the ocean-bound plastic space because we knew brands wanted to use the material. Uh, I mean, I agree we have a huge problem here in the U.S., but we also know that in a lot of the countries where we work, the material is likely going to end up in the water if we don't create some sort of demand or incentivize for it. In the U.S., you know, there's more of a chance it'll end up in a landfill, right? But we know it's going to end in the environment in these other places. So that's just from our perspective why we sort of did a lot of what we've done with Ocean Cycle. And I, and I think Chad and I talked earlier today about leakage, right, where, where a lot of the pl plastics that are ending up in the ocean are, are from countries that have large amount of leakage. When we say leakage, they have no, there's no way to collect it. Where in the U.S., we, have, we, we may have the lowest recycling rates, but our leakage rates are very low. We don't, you know, it doesn't end up in, in places it shouldn't be as much as it is in, in some of the other areas of the world where there's a high, there's, there's a recycling rate, that, low recycling rate there, but there's also a high leakage rate. So that, mm -hmm. and we talked about yeah. that. All right. Yeah, thank you. Um, this is Erica Daly from Merrick Pacific. Uh, I think you guys actually just teed up my question really well. Um, I was wondering if you could speak a little bit to the um, how folks are giving you feedback or asking questions towards ocean-bound versus ocean-sourced. And I know you had spoke a little bit about greenwashing and how you're really trying to avoid that. Um, I'd love to hear more about that nuance because it's becoming more and more, um, at least we're seeing more questions about, you know, we have, we have a product that has ocean-bound um, plastics as well, and we get questions around that, right? And I think it's coming up a lot more. Mm -hmm. So if you could speak a little bit to that. And then also to the LCA that you had just mentioned, um, around a lot of this ocean-bound material has to move from one side of the world to the other to get used to manufacturing. And what you've seen in, in terms of benefits in the life cycle analysis, if you've done any so far, I'd love to hear about that as well. Thanks. I guess I just want to clarify, when you say ocean-sourced, are you, you're saying material that's coming from the Pulled ocean. out of the water versus on its way, yeah. in, on land on its way to the water. Right. I mean, in, in terms of like what Ocean Cycle certifies, we have only certified what we would call ocean-bound plastics. And the reason we've done that is because we've looked at and we've tried projects with plastics coming from the water. And, you know, a couple issues are it's one, it's really hard to determine like, OK, you go to a beach, has that plastic been sitting on that beach, you know, from the land and it wash up? Um, but also, if you do like a beach clean, it's going to take you a long time to get just a tiny amount of material that you can reuse because most of the material in the water breaks down from salt and UV and pretty quickly. And so it can't really be recycled in volume in traditional mechanical recycling processes. So, um, so everything we do is really, um, you know, we only really certify ocean bound for some of those reasons. I know that there is, you know, some ocean sourced material, particularly through like the ocean cleanup. Um, but we just we just don't see, and we see a lot of in, in terms of greenwashing. We do see a lot of, you know, a lot of people terming things ocean plastic when when we would know when we know it's it's ocean bound. So, um, but yeah, and I and I, was, I know that you've been working on trying to standardize a definition of mm -hmm. ocean bound. So one of it is just making sure that we have an industry wide consistent application of that term. You know, so there's a lot of other agencies out there. I know that you've been working with. That's one area that I think is still evolving, that we really need to level set what is meant by ocean plastic 
versus ocean-bound plastic versus ocean source. There, there's work that needs to be done there. Yeah, when, yeah. We, when we, we looked at ocean recovered or ocean sourced, and we try to do our chemistry on it to bring it up to, quote, virgin standards or above, sometimes even above virgin standards, uh, we, we struggled with it because the, 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 the chains were so broken down, and I'm going to get a little technical, but uh, we, we, there was not a lot we could do with it. So. Mm -hmm. We took the conscious effort to say, we wanna, we wanna work with it before it goes to the ocean. And if we continue to work with these plastics before they get to the ocean, then there won't be anything in the ocean. Mm -hmm. you know, we, 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 can't, we can't go backwards, let's go forward. Uh, and I can comment on the LCA, because we, we have an LCA on our, on our yeah. material. Uh, and to comment on the LCA, we did a, what we call a screening LCA, because someone like Dell would have to do the final, S, uh, the final or, or even Max, the final LCA on their product line. Uh, but from a material standpoint, uh, for instance, Dell uses polycarbonate uh, for a lot of their product lines. So polycarbonate versus our DuraPet, we have about a 50% reduction in, in carbon. Um, so uh, uh, carbon usage. And that's even using it, and we're trying, and so we've moved some of our, our, the way we're doing things. That even means getting the material from Taiwan, bringing it to us, and then sending it back to China. That was all included, and we still had a more than 50% decrease uh, in the, the, the CO2 emissions based on a virgin material. Uh, so that, yeah. and on top of that, they, they can then do their LCA uh, on the final product based on our screening LCA. Yeah, you have to also consider that a lot of times the material in you know places where it's sourced out of where we work, Indonesia, Thailand, Malaysia, places like that, it will get burned. So, you know, there is that you know stopping it from getting burned too component. Yeah, and one helpful part might be a, a, a full-scale LCA has a, a lot of different vectors that you're measuring, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes you need to prioritize which one is the most important one that you're wanting to do. If it's just uh, greenhouse gas emissions or global warming potential, um, sometimes a lot of people get scared because they hear, oh, an LCA is going to cost me $60,000 or something like that. If, if you actually clarify with a lot of those um, suppliers, I just need a product carbon footprint, you can get a much more economical pricing on that. Um, but in general, again, you know, I don't want to make a lot of generalizations. Usually transportation, the world is really good at transportation. I would say don't be too scared about moving material around. Generally, when you look at the total product carbon footprint, transportation is a very small portion of that. And, yeah, and to we'll comment. Let you, if, or Max, if you have a comment, we're, I think we're, we're getting a blinking red light I, on this. I'd like to just comment on what, what Chad just said, if that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if not, I'm going to do it anyways. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, we looked at putting a factory in Asia to make our material. And, and when you look at the overall picture, the electricity that would be generated in that factory cost umpteenfold more than in the United States. So it was, it was, it was the LCA was actually almost as high as producing virgin material in that same country because of the the grid the, mix. The, the grid mix, yeah. Mm. So the transportation cost was very low. The, not just the cost, but the uh, the carbon footprint of that transportation was much lower. Than, we did not anticipate that. Uh, so just to, to piggyback on what you said, yeah. Great. Did Max? Yeah, did you yeah I'll, I'll just say, um, you know, I look at the LCA because we've done one on our products as well. Um, I look at it as a sort of a gap analysis. Yeah. It's like, hey, you know what? Here's where we're here's where we're performing well in, in these vectors, and I mean, here's where we're performing 
poorly and we need opportunities for improvement. So then you can start to triangulate and say, okay, well, if we're moving material here, is there a supplier that can process it locally there to reduce mm -hmm. the carbon footprint? So I would say it's a starting point as, 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 as opposed to an end game. Great. Well, we will end it there. Thank you, everybody.